Hey everyone, this is Josh from Solopreneur Grind for episode 103 of the Solopreneur Grind podcast. I'm happy to be joined by Joseph Fung, co-founder of Uvaru. Joseph, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me on, Josh. This is going to be a fun chat. Absolutely. Joseph, can you start by telling us just a little bit about yourself? Uh, what are you working on these days? And, and then I'd love to deep dive into the story behind it. For sure. Uh, repeat founder uh, for the other Canadians listening in, Waterloo-based. Uh, done five uh, tech companies and my latest is more of a tech enabled service. We help people in other industries get into tech primarily through sales. Uh, so we help train and support amazing tech sales professionals and see them thrive at some of the coolest scale ups in town. So it's a, it's a lot of fun. Awesome. Yeah. And when I saw your bio, I knew it was going to be an interesting chat because fellow Canadian, of course. So, so mm -hmm. shout out and, and, uh, for, for my followers that kind of know I'm working more on the tech side to have a multiple co-founder uh, in my midst, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy for. So let, let's dig into it, though, Joseph. I want to go back in time to what was the first company that you founded or, or co-founded and how did that happen? Was that planned? Was that how things were supposed to be for you? Uh, it's funny because I, if I think right back to to my first company, it would have been while I was in high school. And mm -hmm. it was really more uh, my my parents shoving me into doing something better. Uh, I had that choice, hey, hold the job at Wendy's, you know, great character building, you know, flipping burgers, cooking fries, uh, or actually use some of the, uh, the tech skills that I had and launched a desktop publishing kind of solopreneur experience. Uh, and so it was, hey, face, like minimum wage, you know, back in the 90s or uh, you know, charge at 50 bucks an hour doing graphic design, desktop publishing and realized, wow, yeah, collections suck, sales suck, but this is a way better way to earn cash. So uh, honestly, I, I had great entrepreneurs around me who, who pushed me in that direction. I'm so grateful they did. Awesome. And how long did that first venture last for? And then I'm also curious, like, when was what happened when you went into you know after high school? What was it education? Was it jumping into other businesses? Would love to hear kind of the next step. Yeah, so I I did run that for a couple of years. Uh, so oh, wow. I had a, a pretty good client base, uh, doing a lot of things like uh, you know business cards, advertisements, brochures, kind of broader graphic design campaigns. Uh, and this was in course, high school, just so you're a teenager this whole time. That's right. Yeah, wow. so like 16, 17, 18. Uh, wow. Did it I mean, kind of come back. naturally? How, how did you, how did you do it? Because that's pretty impressive, right? I mean, a lot of I hear a lot of guests who you know in high school maybe they're mowing lawns or like you said at Wendy's or or maybe just like a lemonade stand. But that sounds like a full fledged, great operation. Oh, it was it was just at that really interesting time where still a lot of advertisers, uh, a lot of designers, there were still a lot of kind of there was still a lot of hand drawn illustration and the skills to use. Uh, like technical, uh, software-based vector drawing uh, programs just wasn't as prevalent. I, hmm. To give this data, I, I was using Corel Draw three, and right. like that was like the really big exciting thing. And so, I had a technical leg up, uh, which meant that I could go through iterations faster, I could move faster, uh, and that advantage made it a lot easier. So, when hmm. uh, the the colleagues in my parents' network were looking for someone or someone asked, hey, do you know someone who could do this? It was really easy. So, hmm. I mean, I didn't have to sell a lot. There was a lot of word of mouth. Uh, it was very much that, you know, that when you're a solo entrepreneur, you're kind of one hand just doing all the work uh, and the other hand just trying to actually chase the bills. Hmm. Uh, and I mean, looking back at it in hindsight, I think probably a good dose of my clients thought it was pretty hilarious that they got the 16-year-old kid doing their work for them. So 
Uh, yeah. I'm sure my sales were a bit easier because of that. <laughs> uh, hey, whatever advantage we can get in this world, right? So, totally. so, so what happened then, Joseph? You finished high school. What, what was the next step from there? Uh, so yeah, university, computer engineering, UW. Uh, so you know, got the ring, all that. Um, <laughs> the first real business that, and I say like real business, where I took it seriously, got an idea of what I was getting into, uh, built it up to get actually have employees. Uh, we launched it while I was in university. Wow. Um, the gestation for it actually was, uh, I, I got quite ill in second year university. So I spent a month in hospital, um, nothing to do, spent a lot of time programming in a couple of open source communities, uh, really connected with uh, another tech head. And then we found out we were both in Kitchener, Waterloo. Hmm. Um, had oh, yeah. one of those, yeah, uh, terrifying meetup in person. It's like <laughs> meeting somebody from the internet. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I just realized we clicked so well. We said, hey, let's actually, let's do this seriously and make some cash. And so we were doing a lot of custom programming. Uh, we took an open source approach to our core products. Uh, and so really did kind of a bit of consulting on side to support the buildup of this open source product till we could kind of get it up to being the core of the business. Um, so it was that hard balance of like services and core product. Uh, but again, a lot of fun, uh, small group, really there was three, four of us at different points, uh, but uh, was balancing that while finishing my computer engineering degree. Right. And, and for those of us less technologically inclined, I kind of I understand, I think, the 30,000 foot view of open source. But when you're kind of building a business around that, that correct me if I'm wrong, that includes kind of a, allowing your users to kind of build or, or, or edit or, or help on the product with you. And then how does monetization or revenue look like in that regard? Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I mean, I'll call be straight about it. In many ways, we just did it wrong. Right. Uh, so <laughs> you know, some businesses succeed, uh, some fail catastrophically, <laughs> some take a life of their own. This was very much one of those. Um, mm. Our approach, so you're absolutely right. In open source, uh, everybody can see what you're building and you can choose how much people can contribute. Uh, mm. And it was great. We had uh, about a hundred different people around the world contributing. We oh, had wow. thousands and thousands of users. Um, by the time we, we kind of sent it out on its own, uh, the software was used on more than a quarter million websites. Uh, hmm. So really cool stuff. I mean, companies from like Sony and MGM using our software to mom and pop shops down the road. Hmm. Um, our approach was to really focus on the community, really focus on the software, and we used our services on the side to help well, keep the lights on. Uh, the objective was to sell sponsorships and memberships for additional access, um, you know, prioritize your feedback requests, get better access to support. Uh, but one of the things we failed to realize was that by not baking those in from day one, the community, the culture of the community really picked up this idea of everything should be free. And once mm -hmm. we got to the point of, okay, we've got this community, we've got this, this thing rolling, adding in paid services, uh, uh, it, was, it was almost like it was rejected with antibodies. Just the whole organization really struggled with the idea. Every, everyone agreed, hey, you know, the company has to keep its lights on. Like that's a good thing. But at the same time, every service came with a lot of uh, contention and discussion and pushback, and it just made it more challenging. And eventually uh, we realized the right thing to do was to just spin it out into its own nonprofit organization and let the community and the volunteers continue to run it. Uh, and mm. it's still going strong. Wow, yeah, that was my next question. Is it still around? Very, very <laughs> cool. So then once you decided to make that decision, which I imagine was probably pretty difficult after, after putting a lot of time and energy in, where, where did you go from there? 
Uh, well, we quickly launched a, a second company, uh, really more of a, a repositioning of uh, the, the shell that was left. We'd been doing all this consulting work on the side, uh, and most of it came down to uh, customizing other open source tools. So folks who were really early into e-commerce, really early into uh, web content management, uh, really early into blogging, uh, and we took a lot of the tools that we built and packaged them into a content management system, uh, mm. kind of like a WordPress, before WordPress was a thing. Uh, and our go-to-market strategy was not to sell directly to the website owner, uh, but primarily to sell through designers and advertisers. Um, because they were all saying, hey, we've got all these ad campaigns, we do all this graphic design, our customers come to us saying, can you do a website? And because we don't want to lose this big client, we say yes. And behind the scenes, they would go and frantically try and find a, a web person <laughs> to build right. it up. So we sold them a white labeled content management system. Uh, and so mm. we ran that for, for several years and that was a, that was a real blast. Uh, channel sales is very, very different. So had a good time with that. Very cool. And I hate to sound repetitive with questions, Joseph, but I, in, in the short amount of time, I want to try and get through all these companies. Can, can you quickly talk about maybe the other couple uh, companies that were founded before Uvaru? For sure. So uh, the web content management company, Lewis Media, uh, we ended up selling that off, uh, took a brief break from entrepreneurship and then came back at it. We launched Tribe HR, uh, an open source, uh, sorry, an HR platform uh, for uh, SMBs. Um, mm. Apologies, I skipped one. Uh, on my <laughs> block was right before Tribe HR. Uh, very small community social network. Uh, great lesson in how to not successfully sell a company. Uh, Tribe HR, uh, and then after Tribe HR, Kite, a sales enablement platform. Uh, and it was actually that journey of Tribe HR to Kite which actually teed us up for Uvaro. Uh, hmm. So in, in many ways, the last three feel like part of the same journey. Right. That seems how uh, that seems very natural in the sense that we've we've had a lot of like multiple co-founders or just serial entrepreneurs on the show, and in a lot of cases it's like some sort of inspiration from one leads to the net, next sort of thing. But to put all this into perspective, Joseph, what's the time? Like, what was the average timeline per company? Because it's easy for us to like you know list them out, bang, bang, bang. But just to put some perspective. Uh, for those listening, or maybe some of us who are on our first and second and wondering, like, what's the average, like, maybe lifespan in a sense? Obviously, that's going to differ based on how well the company does and whether you have the opportunity to sell it or not. But can you give us a timeline and some perspective on how long you worked on each one of these companies? Yeah, um, it varies. And in each of them, uh, like a lot of entrepreneurial journeys, uh, the start and stop of different ones is sometimes a fuzzy line. Uh, mm -hmm. But if you kind of took that start and end date for each one, it averages about four years each. Okay, makes yeah. sense. And the other question I had was, were you doing a lot of these companies with a lot of the same people? Like, for example, that friend from uh, that, that you co-founded in, in undergrad with, was he involved in many or all or some of the additional companies? Yeah, it's, it's been really interesting because uh, as individuals you grow, and so mm -hmm. sometimes you go together, sometimes you go apart. Uh, I've had several people who, have, uh, who I've worked with on multiple companies, and sometimes they've gone on to found and, and work on other things. So that first one that I mentioned, Jeff, uh, we did, we ran three of the companies together, so that was really, oh, wow. really fun. Um, uh, I'm fortunate enough to have a couple of co-founders that I've continued through the journey. So for example, uh, Derek, he's actually a, a high school friend uh, he's been with me uh, along every every step of the journey. Uh, so we've wow. been a great pair throughout. Um, the really interesting part is that 
as you launch each new company, uh, you realize that there's different gaps uh, and different holes, and sometimes it's not the right time for people. Uh, so in many ways, it feels a little bit like one of those great heist movies. Uh, every time we start someone, it's like, what do we need here? Let's go back into that co-founder group and figure out you know, what, what we need there. And uh, it's always like getting back together with old friends again. For sure. Maybe while we're on the topic, could you give one or two pieces of advice for someone who might be getting into co-founding a company, whether it be tech or not, uh, in terms of just how to approach the co-founder situation? I, I don't mean like physically approaching or I guess these days more virtually approaching people, but planning or, or thinking about who you may or may not want to co-found a company with, because we've all heard some horror stories. Do you have like one or two pieces of advice? Because it sounds like Maybe we glossed over some of these details, but it sounds like things went relatively well with the co-founders that you worked with, some of which you still do. So I'd be curious to hear some of your advice for uh, potential or future co-founders out there. Well, one, one thing I'll, uh, I'll uh, demystify is that, no, it really wasn't all a rosy picture. Uh, you know, I've got several you know, friends and co-founders that, uh, unfortunately, I can't call friends anymore. You know, you know we're, right. we're uh, I wouldn't say it's necessarily on bad terms, but we've definitely drifted apart you know, sometimes in large part due to the business. And mm -hmm. uh, you know, the reality is all challenges, uh, responsibility sits on both sides. Uh, I've had situations where it felt very much like that friend or that co-founder wasn't kind of behaving or working appropriately. Uh, and there are other situations where I look back now on my own behavior and realize a lot of that was on me too. Um, so if I think about uh, kind of advice or feedback, one of the really big things that I think has really helped me was trying as best as I can every step of the way to try and hold a really honest mirror, you know, to myself. Hmm. And sometimes that needs mentors or counselors or therapists to do that as well. Uh, but to really challenge your own assumptions, because these, these moments, and the more vested you're in the company, the more emotional it is. These moments are very emotional. And you could set up all the rules that you want and all the systems that you want. Uh, but unless you've got a co-founder that you can have an effective, emotionally charged conversation with, uh, it's really, really tough. Uh, so mm -hmm. today, where my really successful relationships are, you know, with you know the the two co-founders I have right now, I think it's because we can have really raw, really honest conversations, uh, much like my my partner and I would be if we're you know in therapy or in couples counseling. Uh, right. And being able to have that level of um, vulnerability, uh, I think, is really important to to keeping that relationship healthy. Right. Yeah, it's great. Great advice. Great advice. So let's jump now to the second last company ends and however it ends. How does that lead to you guys starting what you're working on now? And, and for those who don't know, if you could take us through uh, what you're most focused on with the company. For sure. So um, we launched we launched Kite with that idea of how do we help teams be really productive, really self-sufficient out of the gate. Um, and the analogy at the time, as we thought about it, was there's all this gig work. You know, as if you're an Uber driver, you get the app, you can start making money right away. You're taking calls, it tells you where to go, who to pick up. Uh, your onboarding is almost instant. You're like, how do we help people get to that level of productivity in other industries really fast? And so we built a Playbooks platform to help mm -hmm. people use AI-powered cheat sheets to, to ramp up and move more quickly. Uh, sales is where we had the biggest impact. And we had a lot of fun with this, really going really well, uh, working effectively. Uh, but what we realized as we spent more time with our best customers was that not only were they investing a lot in software, they were also investing a lot in training and still lamenting that they were having trouble finding really performant talent. 
Hmm. I mean, it's so cliched, but it was very much realizing, oh, hey, this isn't just a tech problem. You know, the solution to this is more than just tech. Mm. Uh, and so we launched Uvaro as a bit of an experiment. Uh, honestly, we weren't sure, is this something that uh, has a fit inside Kite? Is this something we should you know, spin out? Is this something that is even going to work? Uh, and so it very much was an experiment on the side. Um, and we realized very quickly we had something very magical. And it subsumed all of our attention and our energy. And we realized, actually, this is the business we should be running. Right. Uh, and so very much a, a change of direction. Kite, the product, the platform's there. Tens of thousands of users still using it. Uh, but uh, the team has moved uh, our entire focus, our energy, our, our capital raises uh, on the Uvaro career success platform. And right. uh, it's been such a fulfilling journey, but also just such a fast ride. I, I bet. A, a quick question. How did you come up with the name or, or what's the meaning behind it? Yeah, we're we're very fortunate to have a, uh, a branding agency that we worked with. Uh, again, when you go through and found a couple of companies, you pick up professionals that you mm -hmm. could just go to. And that this was one of those relationships. Um, the name comes from a couple of items. We really wanted to evoke a sense of kind of learning, uh, personal growth. So the, the you very much captures that, uh, whether it's university or you as an individual. but uh, the name actually comes from uh, Marcus Varro. He's the most prolific uh, Roman scholar. And when we thought about something that would have a, a long-standing impact and touch on that side of education, made a lot of sense. Uh, and of course, the domain name and the social media handles were available. So uh, that made it a lot easier. Major, major keys these days, to be honest. Always. <laughs> I mean, some of them you look up and you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands for some of these domains. And it's just like, oh my God. But anyways, uh, okay. so. What I'm interested to hear a little more about, Joseph, is how do you do these transitions? As, as you said, it, in a lot of cases, there's no like, hey, we're done with this company on November 12th, 2021. How does a transition like that work? And because it seems like you've experienced it now a few times and any advice for people who maybe maybe they are running one company or more than one company right now, but they're losing motivation or there's another company kind of as you described it that's like demanding more of your attention how do you make that smooth transition assuming you want to well i guess we could think about it in two ways kind of like forgetting about the previous company whether you're shutting it down or selling it or continuing to run it and, and maintaining it and making sure that you still give that a chance to to remain successful um it's such a good question and i really uh i mean i wish i could lay claim to some of these insights. Uh, I've been very fortunate to have some really good mentors who, who helped me um, with some thought processes early on. Uh, I think the two big things that has helped me stay grounded uh, was the one push to always keep my identity separate from the company. Uh, and I don't mean like my LinkedIn profile, I mean my sense of self. Um, I think about myself as, as an entrepreneur, as a founder, as opposed to the founder of X or the CEO of Y. Uh, and that's really helpful because it helps me stay a little bit more objective about the business, uh, about the opportunity, about my own actions. And, uh, you know, depending on the responsibilities I have, uh, it makes it a lot easier to accept the role that I've got. Uh, the second thing was to try and really try and stay honest with myself about what my decision making framework is. Um, so a really good example with uh, one of my earlier companies the decision-making framework that we got to for why we transitioned and, and why we ended up uh, selling it off was that we recognized we wanted as a founding team to build something large 
and very exciting and very aggressive in that the business we were in, giving the broad market, was never going to have that breakout growth. Really good lifestyle business, really good small business, but wasn't going to help us see the outcome that we wanted. And so that made the decision really easy. I think what happens is a lot of people get into a bad situation. And this isn't just businesses, but broadly, get into a bad situation and then try and rationalize their gut decision. Uh, whereas uh, I think for our businesses, one of the things we've done really well is sat down and said, hey, what's the framework we want to use to make these decisions? Um, and mm -hmm. if you can build that habit, that makes it a lot easier to decide, hey, do I take this investment? Do I sell the company? Do I shut it down? Do I merge it with another? Um, but trying to be really honest about that early is super, super helpful. Right. It's almost like we're picking up on a theme where similar answer to picking co-founders, right? Is is being mm -hmm. honest, whether it's with yourself or other people, being able to be honest and have the right conversations and thought processes. So that that's really interesting. So Joseph, let, let's talk a little bit more about the company you're running, the program you're running. Mm -hmm. The one thing that was interesting to me was when I looked at your website first with no background information, I was like, number one, this is really cool. Never, I've, I've heard of like models like that more in tech where they'll kind of like train you up as a developer, you know, learn this, become a backend dev in six weeks, whatever. ISA options looks really, really cool. The second thing that I thought was, I bet you Joseph's like a lifelong sales guy. I bet he worked in like tech sales for 30 years and then, you know, or whatever, you know, 15 years and then started this company. And it was really interesting to find out that that's not the case. So I'd love to hear, number one, maybe you can explain a little bit more about, about the company, you know, services, just in case there's anybody listening that might be a good fit. And then secondly, how was it that you niche down into what seems to be the core offering, uh, the, the sales program itself? Yeah, um, I mean, I appreciate the question. Thank you. Uh, if there's any you know, customers or prospects and listening in, that's always fun. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, we run a, uh, we talk about career success, uh, but most of our customers come to us starting with our, our training services. So right. we run a training program. Uh, we've got a four week and a 12 week version that teaches people the, uh, the, the language, the playbook, the mechanics of selling technology. Uh, so software and hardware, a lot of subscription focus. Uh, we spend a large part of that layering on career search advice uh, because interviewing in tech, job searching in tech, navigating the it's all hard. Uh, and then we wrap that up with some incredible uh, job matching services. Uh, so we help people actually land new jobs. Uh, the part that's so interesting is that we have uh, a lot of payment options. We very much believe, like mm -hmm. meet the customer where they're at. So yes, there are upfront options. There are deferred payment options. Uh, a large number of our members do take advantage of that deferred payment, which means they can pay over 24 months, but they don't even have to start payments until they land a full-time role. Right. So for people who are transitioning careers, it makes this all very accessible. And it's been incredible uh, mm -hmm. because our members go on to great success. Uh, we benchmark them against their peers and they're twice as likely to hit quota. Mm -hmm. They ramp in a third the time. This is great for the company. It's great for them. Um, but the median time, you know, the average time for them to complete our program and then land a job is 17 days. So wow. We get these remarkable, life-changing testimonials every single day. And mm -hmm. uh, I've always been B2B. I've always been selling to business. And uh, hearing these stories is energizing in a way I never could have anticipated. Uh, so it's personally a very satisfying journey, too. Right. And 
do, do, so was it all the experience you've had with sales and, and in tech over the years that kind of like, why did you pick sales? Why didn't you pick tech workers or customer success workers? Or I have a feeling, you know, maybe I maybe I should stop talking. But part of it is, <laughs> was that just the biggest need that your kite clients were facing at the time? Or, uh, yeah, how, how did you make that choice? Yeah. Uh, so uh, on the one hand, definitely the, the kite customer base kind of pointed to the fact that there's an issue here. Mm -hmm. So that was definitely the, the kind of gestalt for the, the business. Um, but when we took a look at it, again, it was a very kind of rational and, and thoughtful decision. Because uh, you're right, there are other service providers who do this for kind of engineering and data science and design. Um, but many of them seem to be tackling the problem from the perspective of, well, college education is $40,000. Maybe we can do a better solution and charge $40,000 in a different way. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it just feels like a replacement education. Um, we came to it from a different perspective. You know, we really thought uh, people are changing jobs all the time. And if you're lucky enough to be an, an executive, a CEO who's had you know, an MBA and you've got that cohort of classmates and friends who are helping you land safely at your next job, advising you through interactions, you're set. The everyday professional doesn't have that benefit. And mm -hmm. I alluded to it earlier. I've had great mentors who could help point and you know chart my way through an entrepreneurial journey. A lot of people don't have that. Um, so we struck very much from that starting point. How do we deliver that type of experience? And we knew we needed a combination of you know, training, job matching, uh, as well as ongoing coaching. And then we started really examining, hey, what is the best segment we can dig into? And mm -hmm. technology and sales stood out from part uh, because the demand is accelerating. There's no other role or space that's growing as quickly as tech sales and is large. Um, we need a quarter million new sales professionals by 2030. It's just ridiculous wow. and no one's training them. Uh, and the gap is so big. Right. The average tenure for sales professionals is a year and a half. Huh. No company is investing in training. Instead, they, they expect the sales professional to come fully formed. Uh, previous generation of companies like GE, Xerox, they recognize you have to train and build up staff. Um, a lot of the modern technology companies are growing so quickly, they haven't invested as much in that internal development. Mm -hmm. So it's just a very easy space to make a big difference. Uh, other adjacent spaces have some similar challenges, but way easier for our members to succeed and for us to succeed as a business by starting there. Right. We're going to have to talk a little bit off uh, off air, Joseph, because we're doing something similar, but more kind of immigration focused for tech workers. Mm -hmm. So that there might be something there. But anyways, the other thing I was thinking as I was reading more about the programs is I have a BCom and you don't really get taught how to sell, right? Even in a business degree, like even if you graduate with a BCom from a good school in Canada, it's funny. You learn accounting, you learn finance, most of which I you know don't use anymore. You you learn marketing, but there's no kind of like raw sales class. At, at least that I took. Maybe I missed the uh, maybe I missed the class. And so, I mean, it, it's gotten me thinking, especially in the last few weeks, as I'm actually doing more B two B sales for for our company. Is is it all just learned on the job? Like as a salesperson, as a traditional salesperson you can't really take a university degree in it. So so how does that work? And then maybe if you can contrast that with what is the way that Uvaro teaches? Uh, and these are short classes, so I would imagine they're jam-packed, you know, really efficient and, and, and uh, 
and stuff like that. But would love to hear from uh, from your side. You're absolutely right. Uh, so across Canada and the U.S., less than two percent of post-secondary education has sales content, and hmm. most often it's one class in a marketing diploma. Uh, right. So no, I don't think you missed the class. You, your school probably didn't have one. <laughs> Just <laughs> odds are. Um, and so you're right. There's no no real formal education. Uh, there's a ton of books. So a lot of people will self-learn. Uh, so a lot of reading, uh, a lot of conferences, things like that. Uh, by and large, the sales training industry is sold to businesses to train their staff. And mm. so what it looks like is a quarter million or a million dollar training engagement where the firm comes in, takes the sales force out of the field for three, four days, a lot of workshopping, a lot of lessons, and sends them out with a binder full of material. Um, that's typically how it goes because it's a big business sales contract to the employer. The employer is terrified about taking their sales force out of the field for too long. So mm -hmm. they try and jam as much as they can into a day or two. Um, right. And don't get me wrong, there's some incredible training. Some of the best trainers, some of the best thinking in sales is delivered that way. Uh, but that doesn't work for a company that's growing at a ridiculous rate. Because right. if that only happens once a year, your average employee is at least six months away from any training. Right. And the costs just skyrocket. Um, and moreover, it doesn't help the individual at all. At all. Like you're, you're a right. person that's looking to pivot careers, anything like that. So uh, ours is a little bit different. Uh, to a certain extent, what we do is we aggregate that demand. You know, instead of trying to sell one large contract to a business, you know, we're selling individual seats to, to individuals and pulling together a cohort. But that cohort is also where the magic happens. You've got this intense, crucible-like experience with you know, 20, 30 other people going through a similar transition. Uh, and the diversity in that class really helps you learn what's it like to sell to different personalities. Hmm. And look, people who are very different than I are accomplishing these projects really well. And then one person in the class lands their job. The second one does. And by the end of the program, you get half, two thirds of the class have landed their new roles. It's such an invigorating, exciting experience. Right. Um, that's what we really do. And the part that's been, I think, most rewarding is we see within the classes, these lifelong friendships really forming. Uh, and you can see it's who they're going to when they're grieving, when they're getting married. When they're, it's, it's such a cool thing to watch. Yeah, no, it, it sounds incredible. It sounds incredible. Uh, just a couple last questions, Joseph. One of them is you've mentioned mentors a few times and, and having mm -hmm. great mentors. And I've been lucky to have a few really great ones uh, as well. Do you have any tips for those people who might not, you know, have been as lucky yet? Uh, someone who feels like maybe they're early on, maybe they're building a business they've never tried before. Maybe they want to make a career change uh, and they just want someone who's, you know, further down the road than them. Any advice on, on how to find great mentors? It's a, it's a really fun question. So I've, uh, interestingly enough, I found my longest term relationships with mentors have all been very uh, serendipitous. Uh, so I don't have great advice on how to find those. Uh, <laughs> however, I have been really fortunate to have mentor relationships that you know, have lasted uh, you know, a couple of years to help me through a specific area of my business. And um, the ones that come to mind are uh, mentors that I've had around just general you know, CEO skills, being that leader, uh, marketing leadership, uh, or coaching executives, like, you know, mentoring me on how to mentor and coach others. Mm -hmm. uh, and each of them, I think the two things that have helped me most is uh, being really humble when I reach out to people, like being really candid. Hey, can I, can I buy you a coffee? Can I buy you a lunch? Just to, to share ideas. 
yeah, it's one of those terrible, I'd love to pick your brain things, but I'm also happy to put my network to work and help in any way I can. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, you get shot down. You know, sometimes like, I'm sorry, I don't have the time. I'm not comfortable at this point doing a formal mentorship relationship. <clears throat> uh, but then you can find people who are comfortable meeting maybe once a month or once every two months you know, to organize that. Mm-hmm. Um, the second approach that I found super, super helpful is going to the people that have influence over me, either they're investors or advisors or board members, and asking them, who do you think I could learn from? Again, mm-hmm. really humble. It's like, hey, these are the areas that I'm struggling with. You have a view on what I'm struggling with. Who do you think I could you know, learn from? Because they'll usually introduce you to someone you can learn from, but also they'll self-censor and introduce someone who's more likely to share time. Uh, so being right. comfortable to ask those has been been two really helpful approaches for me. Yeah, that, that's great advice. The, the last thing that I would add is maybe like you don't even have to formalize it. Like most of the the kind of mentors that I have, some of them might even like not even think of themselves as mentors to me. And it's more of like every month or two, I'll just kind of ping them, have like almost a catch up call and stick a few questions on the end. And, you know, they always end with reach out anytime, you know, uh, especially if it's somebody in your network. I've had clients become like quasi mentors and, and stuff like that. So I think people oftentimes kind of like make it sound more serious in their head or more formal on paper than it has to be. Um, and so I think implementing those strategies and, and even trying to keep it informal for a little bit too can uh, can go a long way. Uh, so two two last questions for you, Joseph. Number one, I like to ask this uh, with almost everybody that I have on the show, especially because a lot of our listeners are kind of earlier on in the solopreneurship phase of the journey. If there's somebody listening right now, maybe they're working in a nine to five that they don't enjoy, or, or maybe they're really going through the grind of, of the first company. Maybe it's going well, maybe it's not going well. What are just one or two general pieces of advice you would give to them to kind of keep moving forward and, and, and find a business or a, or a job, you know, whatever it may be that, that might be right for them? Um, I think one of the, everything that's always sparked me on any of my journeys was looking for a problem that I really wanted to fix. So like finding that problem that just uh, it grinds your gears. You're like, oh my goodness, this has to be different. Because uh, if you can fall in love with, with that kind of a problem, uh, it'll make it a lot easier. Uh, you gotta make sure you don't spend all the energy on the problem. You know, find other people who have the same problem because mm-hmm. <laughs> you need a market. But if you can find a problem that you wanna fix, uh, you'll, you'll be more authentic in your journey. You'll attract like-minded people. Um, and so that's that's where I'd recommend people start. Got it. It's it's great advice, uh, Joseph. Want to say thank you again for coming on the show, sharing your story. It's been super super interesting. If people want to learn more about you, maybe connect with you, or learn more about uh, Uvaro, or maybe go through some of the programs. Where do you recommend that they go? Uh, absolutely, folks can hit us up, catch us on YouTube, uh, uvaro.com, or you know YouTube slash Uvaro. Uh, and if anyone wants to connect with me personally, I'm on most social media platforms, you know, LinkedIn, Twitter, others as Joseph Fung, all one word, lowercase. Happy to connect. Awesome. Thanks again, Joseph, for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Josh. Chat soon.